Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Can someone just give me a mic test, please? Jazakumullah khair. Make sure that you can all hear me. Jazakumullah khair. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Welcome to, uh, I believe we're on our 13th lesson of this year, QP uh, year 3. And Alhamdulillah Ta'ala, we've uh, began with the tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq, which we began with last week. I hope that everyone's keeping well wherever you are and wherever you may be. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala keep us all safe. Uh, as you know, some of you may be aware, some of you may not be aware, over the last, not even just weeks, but months, a number of our senior scholars have passed away from different parts of the world, from Lebanon to Jordan to uh, Sudan, the famous reciter in Sudan who passed away recently, to Saudi Arabia, to Pakistan and India, across the, the world, whether it's due to COVID or COVID-related complications or, or just generally people passing away. And it is no doubt a sign from the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah, not only that you have sudden and unexpected death, but that the death of the scholars increases. As we all know, that, that being from the signs of Yom Al-Qiyamah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He keeps us, our families, our scholars safe. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes our affairs easy for us. Because we know that one of the ways that Allah azza wa jal will remove knowledge is not just by snatching it away from the breasts and hearts of people, but rather from uh, the death of the scholars. When a scholar passes away, a part of knowledge that they had or understanding that they had, the wisdom that was contained within them, passes away with them. And when you have a great many number of scholars, then even though that is a difficulty, but inshallah ta'ala, other scholars are there to, to kind of step up and to, and to you know, kind of uh, take their place. But when you don't have so many scholars in the first place, and it's not as, as wide and as, as vast as it used to be in the early centuries and in the early days of Islam, then the death of even a student of knowledge or even someone who is not a senior scholar, but just a student of knowledge or a da'i, someone who's doing good in their community, is in and of itself uh, a calamity because of the situation that we're in and the time that we live in. And so when you then have the death of senior scholars and scholars who are older in knowledge or scholars who have dedicated decades of their life to this religion, spreading Islam, teaching people, writing and authoring books and whatever it is that they're doing, uh, then that is a, a, a calamity and it is a difficulty that all of us have to learn to, to live with. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he makes our affairs easy for us and that Allah azza wa jal, uh, you know, like helps us, especially in this difficult time where, where people generally are stressed anyway. But then when you hear these, this type of news of, of scholars passing away because uh, they're in places or in countries where maybe even the healthcare isn't as good as we some of us are fortunate to have in the countries that we live in, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he showers his mercy upon all of us and his forgiveness upon us all and so you can tell people are stressed because uh, you know Shazad today when he started this off he said assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa rahmatullah right so even he's stressed and if Shaz is stressed then then I think everyone's stressed so that's just um, the situation that we are in may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us so last week we uh, began with the tafsir of surah al-alaq um, and we didn't really go into the tafsir but we spoke about its introduction we spoke about the various names that it is known by can someone uh, tell me can someone uh, tell me if if uh, some of the names that this surah is known by so i think i mentioned to you last week six different names by which this surah is known so come on, someone remind me 
So the first one, obviously, Surah Alaq, right? That's the easy one, the one that we're familiar with, the one that most of us are, most of us know, and that was the one that's mentioned in a number of the early works of Tafsir as well, such as by Ibn Abi Hatim and Ibn Atiyah, amongst others. But what were the others that we said are also from the names of this surah by which it is known? So that was one. I think I mentioned to you five others. Five others. Okay, very good. So Majid says, Iqra. Uh, I don't know if you if that's a typo, Majid, but uh, the, one of them is Iqra. بِسْمِ الَّذِي خَلَقْ اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكْ اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ Those are the three names from the, from the different, uh, from, from the first verse. So we have اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ الَّذِي خَلَقْ اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ Which is an entire first verse. And then اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكْ Also from the names that we mentioned um, is سُورَةُ القلم, right As Rashid and Hasiya and Moon and Zahra and everyone, Jazakallah Khair, Surah Al-Qalam, right? And we said that's a name that we now more familiar are more familiar with for, for the name of Surah Noon. We call it Surah Al-Qalam. But it is a name that was also given to Surah Al-Alaq in the, by some of the early scholars of Islam, as mentioned by Ibn Hazm and Ibn Atiyah, rahmatullah. And the other name, so I think that's five that we have. And the other one is Iqra, just the first word. Of the surah Iqra, and that's mentioned by Imam Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir, alayhima rahmatullah. Um, we went through like the whole story of the, the narration of the surah, the revelation of the surah, and the famous narration that's mentioned in Al-Bukhari, the narration of Aisha, radiyallahu anha. And that kind of brings, us, brings me on to some of the research questions that we had, um, because one of them pertains to this particular issue of, um, you know, and, and by Ijma'ir is a Makki surah, as we, as we mentioned, and some of the scholars, or a number of them, mentioned uh, that it is an issue of consensus amongst the scholars of Islam and the scholars of Tafsir and Hadith that this is a, uh, a surah which is a Makki surah, meaning that it was revealed pre-Hijrah in the Meccan period of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There were some questions that we left over uh, over the last few weeks concerning some research questions that I wanted people to to work into, and I wanted to go through them now. The first of them uh, was with regards to. Um, well, actually, two of them were, were pertaining to Surah Al-Qadr, which is the previous Surah that we just completed, and one of them from last week regarding Surah Al-Alaq. So the first one regarding Surah Al-Qadr was between the differences between the word Adra and Yudri, right? Because Allah Azza wa Jal sometimes in the Quran says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَ And other times he says, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ As in towards the last passage of and we mentioned the statement of Ibn Uyayna, Sufyan Ibn Uyayna, rahimahullah ta'ala, who said that the difference between the two is when Allah Azza wa Jal says, Allah Azza wa Jal will give a response, He will answer the query of what will make you know, what will allow you to know. Uh, but when He says, in the Quran, then you don't have the answer, is not given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's because Allah Azza wa Jal in the Quran, when He says, for example, in that verse in Surah Al-Hazab, when he speaks about Yawm Al-Qiyamah, he doesn't tell us exactly when it is. So I was looking not only for the difference in terms of the Arabic, but also in terms of his translation in English. So Masarat says, answer from Brother Ibrahim, the difference between وَمَا دُرَاكَ وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ is the form for, or bab أَفْعَلْ, or the root دَرَكَ. 
Adaraka can make you know, Yudrika will make you know. I don't really understand the forms. Like, you know, it's not like, I know I know there's a whole thing about forms and, you know, this form and that form. I don't think many people are familiar with it. I'm certainly, uh, I certainly struggle with uh, with how these forms work and, and trying to remember which form is which form. But anyway, um, the... So in Arabic, the difference between the two is adra, adraka, adra, the, the word or the verb, adra, is the past tense. And yudri is the present tense. So when Allah Azza says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ The verb adra, and the word dara is to come to know, to come to realize, to come to acknowledge. The word adraka, with the alif at the beginning, is the past tense of the verb. وَيُدْرِيكَ adra yudri, the yudrika with the ya, is the present tense of the verb. So, um, and, and, and the reason therefore, and, and this relates to the statement of Ibn Ta'ala is when you say adra, it is in the past tense because it is a question that was asked and answered. So as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it in the past tense. Whereas the verb yudri is a present tense and therefore it's a continuation. It's always in the present tense because that answer is still being sought. So when is the hour going to come? Allah Azza wa says maybe it is close. But that's not an answer, it's close. When is it close? Is it close in the time of the Prophet ﷺ? Close in the time of the companions, in the time of the tabi'een, in the generation that came after them? All the way now, we're 1400 odd years into our into you know our history as, as, as this ummah. And is it now? Are we, obviously we're closer, but is it that close now? Is it in our time, our children's time, our grandchildren's time? And so that question is still there. So it is a present question and therefore you have that difference. Now in terms of the translation, um, you know, like if you look at uh, the different translations, they are, to be honest, from what I could see when I looked up on Un.com, um, and I'm sure some of you have done the same as well, they seem to uh, be fairly familiar. One of the uh, tafasir that I, uh, one of the translations rather that I normally go to when I want to make make this type of distinction is the word-for-word word meaning of the Quran. And the one that I usually refer to is the one by Muhar Ali, which is in three volumes. Um, does anyone know of any others? Like, uh, there may well be others who have now written a word-for-word meaning in English of the Quran. Um, I'm, I'm just interested to, if anyone has come across any others, please, please uh, share them with us. Uh, and also, like, you know, how how many volumes have extensive is because Mohar Ali's is is very extensive, and the way he translates the two. So, for example, Wama Adraka, uh, he he says, and what will inform you? What will inform you? And when he says, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ As in the verse in Surah Al-Azab, he translates that as, what will make what will make you realize. So what will inform you and what will make you realize. right? Um, I think one of the ways that we could translate this, and Allah Azza knows best, and obviously translation, as we said, is a type of tafsir, right? Translation isn't actually the Qur'an. We're translating the meaning into another language. And so it is a form of, of tafsir that we're trying to understand. I think one, one way that this could be translated is um, is when we say wama adraka in the past tense, you know what told you, right? What told you? What informed you? So we don't not what will inform you because the will makes it um, makes it sound like it's a present tense. But what informed you of what Laylatul Qadr is? Laylatul Qadr is better than a thousand months, right? And that kind of gives it in the past tense. Whereas wama yudrika and what will make you realize? What will make you know? What will inform you? In the present tense, I think that that is uh, perhaps a, a a more closer translation to the Arabic, and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best. But I mean, it's it's like just semantics, I suppose, uh, in some sense, a technicality in the sense that the meaning is still correct in all of these translations. 
but just it's an interesting thing for for people who are students of the Quran and and want to especially make that that jump between uh, you know the English and the Arabic of how we take some of these verses in Arabic because the Quran obviously with its depth of, of, of language and its eloquence is giving a meaning by using a past tense and by using a present tense of a verb. Uh, how do we relay that into English? That is where you, you know, that's where the challenge comes for any translation. And that balance of transla- you know, for a translation always has to be between uh, trying to be as authentic as possible to the depth and the meaning of the Arabic language, but at the same time, making it accessible for people and easy to read and easy for people to, um, you know, to, to, to kind of connect to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So yes, so like, so like the, the present tense always applies, right? It continues to apply. Because just as the Prophet didn't know exactly when the hour is, likewise people who come after them don't know. Whereas with Laylatul Qadr, we all know what Laylatul Qadr is now because it's firmly established. There's no real question left in terms of what it is. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay, uh, Salani said, looking at over 30 accepted translations of the meaning, most common is future, less frequent is present, and very rarely past tense. What made you know? Right, sometimes with the word could and can, right? And, and this is like problem, you know, with English, you know, between could and can, and you know, did and 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 would or with or will, and and all that kind of stuff. That's that's always going to be uh, an issue, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, so that was the first question that we had. The second question that we had was concerning matla and matli'. Right, so we said in the final verse of Surah Al-Qadr, Allah Azza wa Jal says, "Salamun hiya hatta matla'i al-fajr." And the vast majority of the Qur'an read it with the fatha on the lam, matla'. But we said al-kisai reads matli'a with the kasra on the lam, right? Matli'il fajr. What is the difference between the two? The matla', as we said, is the noun, right? It means a, the, the place of rising. So the place of the rising of the sun. So there will be peace until the sun has risen. Whereas matli' with the kasra is the time, the time of the rising of the sun, meaning the time of fajr and both are you know, both are similar. One refers to the place, one refers to the time. Both are the same in the sense that both give, you know, essentially give us the same ruling and the same meaning. And that is that once the sun rises, Laylatul Qadr finishes. But obviously there is a difference between, you know, the place and a time in the sense of, of, of the Arabic language. And so therefore that is the difference between the Fatha and the Kasra. And one of the things that I don't, uh, you know, we don't really have this in the English language as far as I know anyway. But in Arabic there are books that will actually take you through the different qiraat and give what they call tawjihat, which is basically how the tafsir or the meaning changes according to the different qiraat. And so that's something which is always good uh, for those of you especially who speak Arabic and can understand and read Arabic. It's always a good uh, reference to have within your library. So when you come across these differences in qiraat, one of the things that you can do is go back to those books and see how does that actually affect the meaning? How does it change? And sometimes in the depth of that meaning, you see, uh, you know, you see other benefits that you can take as well. The third question that I had for you, and the final one before we continue, therefore, is the question that was related to this surah, Surah Al-Alaq, which I asked about, um, which I asked about. Um, which I asked about, and that is the third question, which is concerning uh, what we mentioned about Surah Al-Alaq being the first revelation of the Quran. And I asked the question, was it, was this something which was agreed upon? 
And number two, if not, then what were the other opinions? And number three, then if there is a difference of opinion, how, if at all, can we reconcile between them? So let's see what you have here. So Sumayya Musarrat, uh, one opinion is first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq. Another one is Surah Al-Mudathir, the generation, but some say perhaps the Sahaba entered late and did not hear the whole conversation. Number three, Surah Al-Fatiha, Hadith is weak, but even if strong, perhaps it could be reconciled as the first complete Surah. Uh, and Basmala, opinion of some scholars, but no evidence for this opinion. Reconciling first revelation is first five ayat of Surah Al-Alaq, first full Surah is Surah Al-Fatiha. Okay, Zahara says Surah Al-Mudathir is one as it is revealed after some... I don't know what that means, Fitra, is that Fitra? And Surah Fatiha, as it is revealed, first complete Surah. Hasiya, Surah Alaq, uh, verses 1 to 5, with the first verses to be revealed by Jama'ah of the Scholars from the Hadith of Aisha. There are three different verses. There are three differences of the first verse revealed. The first seven verses of Surah Al-Mudathir, the Hadith of Jabir, the entirety of Surah Al-Mudathir from Imam Asyuti, the verse, first verse of Surah Al-Fatiha, the Basmala from the Hadith of Al-Wahidi, Akrima and Al-Hasan, Al-Basri. Right. So as you can see, therefore, there is not an issue of uh, of, ijma', of consensus, even though the vast majority of the scholars are of the opinion that it is Surah Al-Alaq, based on this authentic hadith, the hadith of Al-Bukhari and the hadith of Aisha, radiyallahu anha, and it is the position of the majority of the scholars of the Sahaba and of the scholars who came after them until our time. In fact, now I think you know it is probably even ijma' that there is anyone who takes a different position other than this position, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Um, but it's basically an issue that has become, uh, you know, become a position that, that the Ummah has kind of uh, gathered upon and united upon in later times anyway. And that is that Surah Al-Alaq, or the first five verses of this Surah, were the first revelation of the Qur'an. There is a narration that is authentically reported of, uh, of Jabir, radiyallahu uh, in which he said that the first verses, the first revelation of the Qur'an was Surah Al-Muddathir, right? Ya ayyuhal Muddathir. And then there is a third opinion that says that it is Surah Fatiha. And I think the Basmala and Surah Fatiha is one opinion in reality, right? Um, it is one opinion because those who said the Basmala, they made the Basmala part of Surah Fatiha. Remember, we had this whole discussion at the beginning of the first year of QP about the Basmala and, and the difference of opinion as to whether it's a part of every Surah or a part of Fatiha or not a part of Fatiha or, or an independent verse in and of itself. That's, that's basically uh, linked to that particular topic as well. Ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala says, uh, he says that Ibn Abbas radiallahu, that uh, the author of Al-Kashaf said that Ibn Abbas al-Mujahid said that the first verse to be revealed was this surah. But the majority of the scholars of tafsir, this is the author of, of the book Kashaf, he is saying that the majority of the scholars of tafsir said that the first verse to be revealed is surah Fatiha. Right? Ibn Hajar says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala in his commentary upon this statement he says but what the actual position is that the vast majority of the scholars went to is the first position and that is that it is Surah Alaq that was the first revelation of the Quran as for what he said uh, or attributed to the majority of Surah Fatiha being the first revelation he said actually it is less than a few scholars so he says less than a few scholars who took that position and said that it is the first uh, part of the Quran to be revealed, right? The first part of the Quran to be revealed, and as some of you, as some of you have um, have mentioned, uh, you know, it may well be that one of the ways you reconcile is that they're referring to the entirety of the surah, 
that it may be. And again, there is a difference of opinion, right? Remember, we mentioned that there is a difference of opinion. Some of the scholars said it is a Mecca Surah Fatiha. Another said it is a Madani Surah. Another said that it was revealed twice, once in Mecca and once again in Medina. Al-Suyuti mentions uh, the narration of Ibn Abi Shaybah and Al-Tabarani and Al-Hakim and others from the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu, the narration of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu, in which he says that Iqra' bismi rabbik was the first verse, verse, the first surah to be revealed to our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right, and by what they mean by awwalu surah is not the entirety of the surah, but they mean the first few verses of that particular surah. Uh, Ibn Ashur also uh, discusses this in his tafsir when he comes to Surah Al-Alaq. He says that the first surah to be revealed from the Quran is this surah as is mentioned in the authentic and clear hadith, and including the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam going to Hira and him having the revelation of the Quran. He says, and this is what is established in the authentic narrations. And it's mentioned in the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ashari as we've seen as well. And it is the position of the majority of the scholars past and present. He says, and as for the statement of Jabir, which is the narration of Jabir radiallahu anhu, and that is that Jabir says that the first surah to be revealed was Surah Al-Mudathir. So that's his opinion, the position of Jabir radiallahu anhu. And Ibn Ashur says that the way that we reconcile between that, and this is a good way of reconciling between them, uh, is that it's referring to, what is referring to Jabir radiallahu anhu is the first surah to be revealed after the revelation ceased. So after the Fatratul Wahi. Fatratul Wahi basically means that the revelation ceased for a time and then it began again. So we know that after Surah Al-Alaq, after these verses revealed, then the revelation stopped. And the Prophet ﷺ, even though at first he was afraid, he began to miss revelation. He was longing for it. He wanted to come back because of the beauty of the Quran and what he took from receiving that revelation from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And then it's after this that Allah Azzawajal begins with Surah Al-Muddathir. Right? Ya ayyuhal Muddathir. And Ibn Ashur says, just as after, again, the second time that revelation ceased for a long time, we know that the next surah that was revealed after the second cease in revelation, or the second uh, kind of stopgap of revelation, was Surah Al-Duha, right? Was Surah Al-Duha, as is mentioned in some of those narrations as well. So uh, that's how he reconciles. So what Jabir radiallahu anhu is saying, that it's the first uh, part of the Quran to be revealed, he means after there was a pause and a gap in revelation. And he's not referring to the actual first first revelation, meaning the first verses to be received by the Prophet wasallam, And Allah Azza knows best. But it is no doubt what seems to be more authentic and strong and the position of definitely the majority of the scholars, past and present. And I said, as I said, I think even till now, I think there is probably an issue where you won't find any scholar really deviating from this, is that Surah Al-Alaq was the first verses or the first part of the Quran to be revealed to our Prophet wasallam, And Allah Azza wa knows best. There are 19 verses in Suratul Alaq. Uh, Solange is asking, I have a question about Muhar Ali's work. The translation on the left says, what will inform you? But the entries on the right say, he informed, let know, notify. Would I be looking both left and right if using it as a word-to-word reference? So what he's done basically is in the left, which is the actual surah itself, where he translates, he's translated into the meaning that he thinks is best from the words that he's given to you. He's, he's used the meaning that he considers to be best in terms of usage of that verse. On the right, what he's done is he's broken down each word, right? So each verb in English can be can have multiple meanings because Arabic has that type of depth. So when you say adra, it can be to know, to notify, to realize, to be informed of, to, you know, to have knowledge of something or acknowledge something. So all of those are different meanings that can apply to the verb. 
So what he's done then is he's chosen the one that he thinks is perhaps best and, and best applied to this particular verse. That's how it works usually. Right? And that's why he gives you the forms, right? as someone did earlier on, the forms and all that kind of stuff. He's going through the linguistic, like kind of dictionary definition. And then he's giving you the way that it would be, that he thinks that it should be used in terms of the translation of that particular verse of the Qur'an. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this uh, surah, surah Al-Alaq, he begins by saying, اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقْ And I want us just to focus and, and, and pay a bit of attention to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began this religion. And it's amazing because if you think about this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have began the religion with, with many different types of commands. It could have been a command to worship Allah alone, right? because we know there's nothing more important than Tawheed and worshipping Allah alone. It could have been a command to obey the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which after the Tawheed of Allah is the second most important thing, right? Muhammad Rasulullah follow and obey the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It could have been a command to pray. It could have been a command to uh, be good to your parents and respectful and dutiful to them. It could have been a command to have good character. Each one of these, if you were to take them and find the different narrations in the Quran and the Sunnah that speak about its importance and virtue, you would see so many that you could, you know, from just from a knowledge or from an academic point of view, you could justify it as being the opening command with which this religion begins. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with knowledge, with learning, with the importance of reading. And look at how subhanAllah it is given to a prophet who is illiterate, unread, unlettered, right? Can't read, can't write as we know sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And to then by extension a group of people, a nation, who by in large, by, a, by big swathes of their population are also unlettered. Right? And we know even you know, in that time it is very common amongst the world, right? let's not like be under the false impression that people in the West were all reading and writing and not only people in Arabia or other parts of the world that were unlettered, even in the West at that time, you know, would, it would be you know, what, what they would call in our history, in, in Western history as the Dark Ages. Right? So most people probably can't write, can't read, you know, aren't very well educated, even here, it's probably only the elite, the nobility, the the monks, the you know, the or the or the religious class that are the ones who are who are educated and read. Everyone else is in a similar position. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving it and the Arabs were known for this even more. Because at least the Jews were people who could read when it came to their scriptures. And the Christians were people who could read their scriptures. But the Arabs were not known to be able to do even that. They were very uneducated in terms of the landscape and the area that they were in. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them this commandment. And one of the, you know, the beautiful things and meanings that you can derive and take from this. And one of the lessons that you find, no doubt, is firstly the importance therefore of knowledge. right? Because knowledge is so key to our religion. It's based upon knowledge that you learn how to worship Allah. And so the mistakes that are made in terms of our worship of Allah, our belief in Allah, people not knowing Allah, not accepting Islam or apostating from Islam or whatever it may be, all comes down centrally to this particular issue. And that is that people have a lack of knowledge and because of their ignorance, they go away and are driven away from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why that verse in which Allah azza wa lists the different sins and the position of a number of the scholars of tafsir is that they are listed in, in, in order of, of severity, going from least to most. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the end says, Every type of haram, every type of lewd act is made haram, whether hidden or open, وَالْإِثْمَ and sin, وَالْبَغْيَ and transgression. And Allah says and that you should make shirk for which Allah sent down no authority. 
and then Allah adds another one after shirk. And even though we know that there is no greater sin than shirk, but Allah then goes to the root of shirk. What is it that causes shirk to happen in the first place, to become prevalent in the first place? And that you say about Allah that which you have no knowledge of. So it goes down to the issue of knowledge and ignorance. Look at the Quraysh, right? If you look at the Quraysh, who are the Quraysh? If you actually look at these people, they are people who are favored by Allah in every other way. They are people who are the descendants of prophets of Ibrahim and Ismail They are people who Allah has honored by becoming the custodians of the Kaaba and of Zamzam, the custodians of the people who come and perform pilgrimage and hajj. They are the people who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored in so many ways. But does Allah azza wa jal praise them for those things that they happen to inherit or because their lineage was of such and such a such and such prestige or that they happen to live in a certain location or their you know their natural duty was to look after a certain land or area or holy place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't use that as an excuse for them it's not a mitigating factor for them in terms of their salvation because due to that lack of knowledge that they then had over time that crept in amongst them when they lost the way of their forefather Ibrahim and Ismail and they lost Tawheed that those same people are now the ones who worship 360 idols in and around the Kaaba alone let alone the idols that they have in the, on their person and in their homes and in their marketplaces and everywhere else that they go to where does that come from? how did someone go from being the descendant of a prophet how do a group of people go from that to becoming people who are pagans and idol worshippers and worship idols that they make with their own hands and then they consume in times of difficulty and hardship and, and drought and fatigue and hunger. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that this is because there is no knowledge that is there. People have lost their knowledge, they have become ignorant. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this religion with Iqra. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he must become someone who becomes educated about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore this also shows you what is most important in terms of education and this is no doubt, you know, there's no doubt that there is an importance to generally being well-read and educated. Someone who studies medicine or law or engineering or English or history or geography or any other type of subject, it is always beneficial to learn languages and to learn other types of sciences. But the knowledge that Allah Azza wa is primarily speaking about is the knowledge of Islam, the knowledge of Allah, the knowledge of bringing you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the Arabs had amongst them people who were well versed in business, people who were poets and eloquent, people who were well read in some other issues but the mass ignorance that they had was concerning their religion right? and that's unfortunately something which we see again in our time today. How many people have become distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muslims, right? people from our ummah who don't know Allah azza wa jal, don't know the Prophet ﷺ, don't know the Qur'an, not because they're not familiar with the terms and the concepts, because even the Quraysh were familiar with the concept of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you ask, and Allah mentions in numerous places in the Qur'an, If you were to ask them who created the heavens and the earth, who caused the sun and the moon to take its place, who, all of this, they would say, They would say it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They understood that it is Allah who creates, that it is Allah who gives life, that it is Allah who gives death. Their issue was not that they rejected Allah or that they were agnostic or atheist in their belief. They accepted that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was there, that Allah azza wa existed, that Allah azza wa was the creator, that Allah azza wa is the one who is the raziq, the one who provides, that Allah azza wa is the one. They understood the role of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their problem is that they thought 
that likewise Allah had many partners. That Allah had all of these idols that were similar to him or that they would come closer to him or that they were intermediaries between people and him. And they gave them divinity and powers of divinity that only belonged to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So therefore the issue was never that those people never believe. It is the ignorance that creeps in because of a lack of their knowledge of not knowing truly who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And so that type of ignorance we see today again in our ummah. How many people believe, and sometimes it's worse than what the Quraysh had, how many people believe that actually other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give life or give death, can give a child to someone, can harm in terms of giving sickness or taking away sickness. There are people who actually believe that other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala control the universe. Right? They create things and form things and make things and they create uh, and they and they control the the movement of the sun and the and uh, or the moon and the stars and and all of those they they give to Allah subhanahu wa taala certain attributes or to, they give to other than Allah certain attributes that even the Quraysh will not give to their idols, and again it's because ignorance becomes so prevalent amongst our people and our religion just because someone has the name or the term of something doesn't mean that they understand its reality right just as you know people go overboard when it comes to our prophet وسلم, and they don't give him his right that is due to him they go overboard in that right or they fall short by giving him the rights that are due to him when it comes to the book of allah the quran how many muslims in our world today unfortunately are ignorant when it comes to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They understand the Qur'an, they love the Qur'an, they respect the Qur'an, but do they know the meaning of anything in the Qur'an? Have they ever studied any part of the Qur'an? Do they attach themselves to anything in terms of the message of the Qur'an? Very little, if anything. And again, when ignorance becomes prevalent, it becomes the norm. And so when it becomes the norm, so norm normal is the ignorance that those people who have knowledge who try to call towards guidance who try to call towards good and what is beneficial they become peculiar they become strange sometimes they become outcast because the norm is now something something else and that is the meaning of the hadith or one of the meanings of the hadith the famous hadith of our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he said bada al-islam ghariba wa sayaud ghariba fatuba lil-ghuraba Islam began as something peculiar and strange. It will return as something peculiar and strange. So glad tidings to the strangers. Because when the Prophet ﷺ came out to these people of Quraysh, who should have understood messengership and prophethood and revelation from Allah and the meaning of Tawheed, because they are descendants of prophets and the custodians of the Kaaba that was built to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, for them it was strange that a man would say worship Allah don't worship your God, don't worship these idols, there is only one God worthy of worship and so It was strange for them. And likewise, it will return as being something strange. And that's why now sometimes when you, you, know, you speak to people and you tell them that actually that's not the meaning of this verse of the Quran, that's not the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. that's not the correct understanding of our religion. And I'm not talking about where there's valid differences of opinion, I'm talking about sometimes issues that are bigger and more major than that. People find it strange. And it's difficult to them to, for them to accept it because that is what ignorance does when it becomes embedded within a community, right? Within a group of people. So when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala begins the Quran, He begins with this commandment to read, to learn, to educate. 
And one of the things that we've done very well, alhamdulillah, in our time because of the technology and the advance, uh, advancements in education and, and science and general technology and everything else, is that we have generally, as humanity and as nations, and even amongst us as Muslims, we have become more educated. We have become more learned. Right, The vast majority of, of people uh, can read now and can write. They're literate. They can you know, use a computer, they're computer literate. They have the ability to gain knowledge and, 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 and suck in knowledge and gather and collate knowledge and different types of materials in ways that our predecessors and people who lived before us could never do. Right? Our parents, even some of them who just passed away recently, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon all of our parents. And may Allah azza wa jal, for those of you that your parents are alive, may Allah azza wa jal, give them long and healthy lives and may He give you the ability to make uh, to be dutiful towards them. Our parents in their time probably could never imagine the, the way that we now communicate, the way that we're teaching now. You know, we have lectures now. I'm sitting here in the UK and some of you are across the world. We're in different parts of the world. Right, some of you in Canada, some of you in the Far East, some, you're all over the world and you're listening to someone who's thousands of miles away. When was this even possible in the time of just a hundred years ago or for the scholars of the past that they wouldn't even have to leave the comfort of their own home to seek the knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah. So knowledge has advanced in terms of this technology, in terms of its accessibility, in terms of its ease of attainment. But the problem is that we have become diverted from the knowledge that is important to knowledge that isn't so important right and so the knowledge that we often use or that we often uh, you know we often seek even when we do go to knowledge and there's a whole issue of people not even seeking knowledge but even when we do it's not always the most important knowledge right how many people now spend time learning aqidah right learning your belief now has become something which people consider to be old-fashioned that's the world that we live in now, it's the reality. People don't like to speak about aqidah and issues because they think that it's going to cause differences. Why are we going to get into these terms? And it's not about the terms or the terminologies or the groups or the sects. It's about me safeguarding myself in my belief about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when I meet Allah azza wa I meet him with the pure tawheed that he wanted us to have when he said in Surah Al-Bayyan as we did, مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ Sincere and purely making the religion for him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, reading books of hadith, right? It's not the fashion anymore that someone has the stamina to sit and read a whole book of hadith, seven, eight volumes of Bukhari or Muslim or any other. It's difficult to do. Now we want something which is very easy to consume in terms of hadith. The, the Quran, tafsir, right? You know, I, it, it amazed me, alhamdulillah, this year when we did Jalalain, how many people followed us. But there were so many people who didn't want to do it because they found it difficult and burdensome to sit for three hours odd straight and just to do tafsir of a whole juz in a short period of time and it's difficult to do. And that's because we have become educated and it is from the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The Prophet told us وسلم, from the Ashratu Sa'a is al Qalam, is the emergence of the pen, meaning that people become well-read and literate. More and more people, people who everyone has access to education, as, whereas previously education was, was a privilege, it was given only to the few, to the elite, to the people who were rich and could afford private tutors and to spend money. The vast majority of people couldn't afford that, so they were illiterate, they couldn't read, they couldn't write, they had very little skills. Now, it has become open for us. We have, it has become accessible to us, but at the same time, as that is a blessing of Allah and a sign of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, then the other sign of Yawm Al-Qiyamah is that knowledge is also lifted and ignorance becomes prevalent because we don't understand how to seek knowledge anymore. We don't understand its importance. So 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this surah by saying, Iqra, read, this commandment is so important. And if you were to, you know, just spend time just reading this, you know, how many books have been written just on this commandment from the books of knowledge, right? Scholars used to write books just on knowledge and how to seek knowledge and the importance of knowledge and how to how to how to travel for the sake of knowledge and so on. And one of the books that we're doing in our inshallah winter conference this year in Agwinian Masjid, uh, for those of you who are familiar, we do normally a uh, a winter conference where we invite different scholars from around the world and they normally um, give us lessons and we translate that into English. One of the books that we're doing this year is a book of Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi rahimahullah ta'ala called Al-Rihla fi Talib al-Hadith, Traveling for the Sake of Hadith. Right? Because that's how scholars used to seek that knowledge. They used to write books just on that. They used to write books on seeking knowledge and its etiquettes and, and these types of issues. So Allah so we could spend like you know hours and if not days just speaking about this and all of its different tangents and so on. But obviously that's not what we're here for. But to understand what it is that we're trying to and what our religion considers to be so important and pivotal is something that we should uh, always remember, especially for ourselves, our communities, and our families and our youngsters. And Imam Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala he says in his tafsir. That when Allah says, Iqra' bismi rabbik, Allah says, read with the name of your Lord. And that automatically tells us what type of knowledge Allah is telling us to seek. It is the knowledge with which you invoke Allah's name. Which knowledge do you invoke Allah's name for? It is the knowledge of the Quran. It is the knowledge of the Sunnah of the Prophet He says, the ba in bismi rabbik can either mean with the name of your Lord, meaning that you say Bismillah before you seek that knowledge, you invoke the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or Allah, that you're invoking, you're seeking the knowledge of Allah, you're seeking to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through that knowledge. And both of them are uh, good meanings in the sense that you learn the knowledge from Allah for the sake of Allah, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that brings you closer to Allah azza wa jal. Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala has a very nice statement concerning this surah. And he says that this surah is an amazing surah. It has so many lessons. And the fact that Allah chose it to be the first surah revealed to our Prophet وسلم, the beginning of his amazing prophethood and that amazing uh, you know, period of time that changes the world and everyone who comes after it. The Shaykh said, Ibn Taymiyyah, he said that there are so many benefits that we can take from it. He said it is difficult for us to write concerning it because we are unable to bring in all of the benefits together in a single place. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, on this particular verse, on this particular issue of knowledge and the importance of knowledge, has over 200 odd pages in one of his works, where he just focuses on this, from Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, right? Showing you it's, uh, you know, the, the, the depth of meaning that you can take from this. Clearly, you know, we don't have time to go through Ibn Taymiyyah's 200 odd pages. But it does show to you that even with tafsir, you know, even though this is like an in-depth detailed tafsir, there are still so many more levels and layers and depths that we could go to. Had you know, if we wish to, we could just go and and not uh, not not you know not stop anywhere. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah taala. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah taala, he says in his uh, tafsir. I think that there's a problem with the portal, guys. So you're. Send, you may well be commenting and sending stuff in, but I can't see it. And I assume, therefore, that you can't see it either. So I just got a text message uh, saying that there may be a technical issue with that. So uh, just bear with us. And if not, then, you know, it just means that we're, we're unable to, uh, I'm unable to kind of see, and you're probably unable as well to see uh, each other's comments. 
Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that the first thing that Allah revealed from the Quran are these blessed verses. And it is the first mercy that Allah bestowed upon his servants. And that is the first and the first blessing that Allah bestowed upon them. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began creation, the creation of man from an alaqa, from the clot that Allah will mention in the coming verses, and that Allah favored them with knowledge. That he taught them the knowledge that they didn't have. And it is through this knowledge that Allah gave them a station above, a virtue above the angels, as we mentioned and we touched upon last week. Right? It is the statement of Ibn Kathir. What made Adam السلام, gave him a station above the angels? Why were the angels commanded to prostrate before him? Because when Adam, السلام, as I think we touched upon this last week, Adam, السلام, when the angels say, Oh Allah, why have you created this creation? Why have you created him? Why we, when we are here worshipping you and praising you and glorifying you, Allah tells them, I know what you don't know. Then Allah teaches Adam the names of everything. And then he asks the angels to name those same things and they're unable to do so. Glory be to you, O Allah, we only have the knowledge that you bestowed upon us. Then Allah commands Adam to tell them the names and he does so. Allah says, inform you that I know the knowledge of the unseen of the heavens and the earth. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him that virtue. That virtue is the virtue of knowledge. And Allah then places that same virtue within his progeny, within his children, within his, uh, his offspring. And that is that knowledge of the, uh, the ability to learn and seek that knowledge. And how amazing it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he judges people, he doesn't judge them based upon their wealth, based upon their you know lineage, based upon their fame or their power or their status or the color of their skin or the language that they speak or their ethnicity or any of those issues that none of us have a control over, their beauty or lack thereof or anything else. Allah judges us based on what we can achieve and achieve without needing any of those materialistic possessions. Everyone has the ability to learn to some extent their religion and everyone has the ability to practice that religion to the best of their ability. And Allah only commands you to do what is the best of your ability. So if there are people who can go abroad and study and they have the ability to do so and it's easy for them, then that is their ability that Allah has given them to do. But if your ability in terms of your knowledge is just to learn the few basics in order for you to worship Allah then that's all that you need to do. You don't need to worry about anymore. And there are narrations in the Sunnah when the, the people come to the Prophet ﷺ, the Bedouin Arab or someone from far away, and they say, Oh Messenger of Allah, there's too many laws in Islam, too many rulings for me to remember. Give me something short and concise. So the Prophet ﷺ says to them, the, gives them the, 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 the pillars of Islam. Or he tells them, for example, say, I believe in Allah, and then be firm upon this. And he gives them just what they need because that's all that their ability has that they can do. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says, so this knowledge that Allah favored us with, taratan yakunu fil adhan, sometimes it is in the mind, meaning it is knowledge that you memorize, that you learn, that you remember, that you memorize. Taratan yakunu fil lisan, and sometimes it is upon the tongue, the knowledge that you teach, that you speak with, that you call others to and convey to others. Taratan yakunu fil banan, taratan yakunu fil kitabati bil banan, and sometimes it is the knowledge that you write. 
right? So knowledge has different forms that Allah Azza wa has given to us. Knowledge that you learn, that you seek, that you understand, that you memorize. The knowledge that you teach, that you spread to others, that you give to them, and knowledge that you write. And so he says, So there is knowledge that is internal, that you memorize, knowledge that you speak with the tongue, and knowledge that you write as well with the hand. Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala, from the five, first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq, he says that there are nine benefits, nine major benefits, and then each one of those benefits he speaks about in more detail. He says there are nine benefits that we can take. Number one is how Allah Azza wa Jal gives the command to read to a Prophet that is unlettered sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The second benefit is that Allah Azza wa Jal commands the Prophet sallallahu to read in the name of his Lord, in the name of his Lord. Number three, that Allah Azza wa Jal, when He speaks about the creation, He doesn't, and, and Allah Azza wa Jal, when He says to the Prophet read in the name of your Lord, point number two, He doesn't say read in the name of Allah, but Allah describes Himself as the Lord, read in the name of your Lord. Number three, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Himself as the Lord who created, as the Lord who created. Number four, that after mentioning the creation of man, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the alaq, right? How it was created from how people were, uh, were, were sorry, after mentioning creation in general, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions a specific type of creation. So he mentions that Allah created in general, point number four, and then he specifically mentions the creation of man. Number five, that after specifically mentioning the creation of man, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions that that creation began from an alaqa. Right, which is the clot that forms, the clot that forms, and inshallah we'll come on to that verse next week. The clot that forms, but Allah doesn't mention, and we know that there are stages before that. We know the drop of semen comes before that. We know, for example, the dust, the the the, the clay that our father Adam was created from. Allah doesn't mention them. Allah begins from this stage, even though there were stages before them. Why? He says. Number six is how Allah repeats the command to read, and that's something which we often forget and miss when we study these verses that the command to read and learn is twice in these first five verses. There is a repetition. Iqra' bismi rabbik and then iqra' wa rabbukal akram. Iqra' bismi rabbik and then iqra' wa rabbukal akram. So uh, that's the sixth, the sixth point, uh, the sixth point that he mentioned. The or was that the seventh point? The next point, anyway, is the the importance of learning with the pen, right? Learning, or the or the favor that Allah Azza wa Jal gave in terms of the pen, and then number or the final one is that Allah Azza wa Jal taught people that which they did not know, that which they did not know. Okay. So, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Uh, then Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin will go through each one and as we're going through these first five verses we'll pick out you know, the, the, the points that he mentions and we'll speak about them in more detail. The first issue that he mentions is how Allah Azza wa Jal gives the command to read. He says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that the command to read in the Arabic language, the word Iqra means to make something apparent, right? To make something apparent. And Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, when he gives the command to read to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is unlettered, can't read, can't write, he said that there is no contradiction between the two. Because the Arabs, when they say read, that reading comes in two forms. Number one, the reading of the written word. And number two, the reading of the listened, the heard word, the oral word. 
So sometimes you're told to repeat from mouth orally what someone said, you repeat to them, and sometimes you read what has been written. And so therefore that shows us an important point, and that is that the, the, the knowledge of the recitation of the Qur'an in particular has always been an oral tradition. The reading of the Qur'an has always been orally. So if you were just to give someone the Qur'an, right, the, the written Qur'an, the Mus'haf, and you didn't give them a teacher, you didn't give them you know, the manners of how to read, and even if they had a tajweed Qur'an and they understood the theory behind it, they would still make mistakes in their recitation. And they would still have problems in their recitation. Because the Qur'an isn't just a book that can be read, like you read Arabic generally or English or any other language. It has rules and it has ways in which it is recited. Those fine-tuning of rules is only done through the oral tradition. It is done by verbally, by mouth from mouth to mouth. And so that is the first point that he mentions, rahimahullahu ta'ala. And he also says, and, th- and this also shows another benefit, and that is that the Prophet who only yesterday was uneducated and lettered, today becomes the teacher. Right? And that is so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that everyone can learn, even a person who doesn't have a background of education, can come close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the learning of this religion. And that's why when Allah azza wa jal says, read, that reading means to learn, but it also means to teach. As the Prophet ﷺ did, he read, meaning he learned, and then he, he taught others as well. The second point uh, that's also related to this first verse is when Allah says, read in the name of your Lord. Read in the name of your Lord. And he says that the scholars you know, differed, as we mentioned, as to the meaning of the ba in bismi rabbik, in the name of, right, with the name of. Does it mean, say bismillah, or does it mean, learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala, chooses as the strongest opinion is that he says that what you learn is from Allah. And you then teach it to Allah for the sake of Allah in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you teach them what Allah azza wa wants people to learn. Right? You teach them meaning and that is the knowledge of revelation. So what you learn comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What you're teaching is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you do it invoking the name of Allah azza wa meaning you do it hoping for Allah's reward and seeking his blessing subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third point that he mentions, rahimahullah ta'ala, is how Allah azza wa jal describes himself as Rabb. He doesn't say read in the name of Allah, iqra' bismillah, read in the name of Allah. He says read in the name of your Lord and he uses the attribute of Lordship and the name Ar-Rabb rather than the name Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Shaykh says, and the reason for this, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best, is because Allah Azza wa Jal then says, "Iqra bismi khalaq." Read in the name of your Lord who created. And the attribute of Allah that goes most closely to creation is Ar-Rab. Now, one of you may say, "Why does the Shaykh Rahimullah Taala say this?" Right? Surely, the name Al-Khaliq, which means creator, is closer, or Al-Khalaq is, cre- is closer to Khalaq, the, the one who creates the creation. The name Al-Khaliq, Khalaq, is closer to creation than the name Ar-Rab. The Shaykh, what he is saying, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, at least my understanding of what he is saying, is because when he, what, what Allah Azza wa is joining between is not just creation but knowledge as well. The meaning of Ar-Rab is not just the one who is a Lord, but the one who is a Murabbi, who teaches, who educates, who nurtures. Right? And that's why we say the word Tarbiyah. Tarbiyah is something which educates and nurtures you, it builds you up, you learn, you benefit, you become wiser, you become better, you improve in your character, in your dealings through Tarbiyah. And so when Allah Azza wa says He is a Rabb, and we mentioned an example of this in the tafsir of At-Tabari, when we were going through His methodology, 
and it's one of the points that he mentions when he says in the verse walakin kunu rabbaniyina bima kuntum tu'allimun al-kitab Allah says be rabbani be people who are godly because of what you learnt from the book wabima kuntum tadrusun because of that which you used to study so Allah Azza wa Jalla says, and what is the meaning of Rabbani? Allah Azza wa Jalla says, be godly, be pious, and he links it to knowledge. And that's what Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin is saying here as well, that same link between the two. And that is that creation, Allah Azza wa Jalla isn't just saying that he created us because yes, that is a favor. But the greater favor, the greater blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that he didn't just leave us after that creation unguided without any direction, without any advice, without any type of light that will tell us what we should do and what we need to achieve. But Allah Azza wa gave us knowledge as well. And that is why he uses the meaning of the word Ar-Rab. The other points will come in the following verses, the other you know, six or seven that are left in terms of the benefits. But the Shaykh concludes after mentioning these three, because these three pertain to the first verse. He says, These three points that we just mentioned, and that is, the command to read number two that, that it comes the, the meaning of reading with the name of your lord and number three that allah Azzawajal uses the, the the word rab he says that these are the three fundamentals the three principles of the risala of the message of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam how are they the three principles and that is why they are all encompassed in the first verse so the Prophet understood his importance his message from that very first verse right he didn't go back to Khadi and said I don't know I think it was a dream he understood this is momentous that I have to go and teach this I need to go and convey this to people how did he understand that from just verse number one he says rahimahullahu ta'ala because when Allah commands him to read that is showing him that he will receive knowledge of revelation when he, Allah tells him that he, he has to read with the name of his Lord, it tells him that this is who it's coming from. So it's revelation. Where is that revelation coming from? What is the source? It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number three, when Allah says the name of your Lord who created, he's telling him where he needs to go and spread that religion. And that is to the rest of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have all three. You have Allah, the revelation, and you have who he needs to be given to. And that is our religion. Our religion is the revelation. Which revelation? The revelation that comes from Allah, which is the knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah. And then what you need to do with that revelation, that knowledge, and that is to teach it to others. So to seek knowledge, number one, which knowledge? The knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah. And number three, then what do you do with that knowledge? You convey towards others. That is essentially what the Shaykh Rahimahullah Ta'ala says. And that is a beautiful contemplation. That is not a hadith or a statement that I've come across amongst other scholars of tafsir. It is a contemplation that the Shaykh Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentions. And that is the difference between basing a contemplation upon solid tafsir and understanding of the Quran as opposed to contemplations that may sometimes just be slightly more, uh, slightly more random. So with that, we come to the end of the first verse. And inshallah, I think that this is a good place to uh, to pause for today. I don't, um, I think the chat's not working. I, I hope that you guys can still follow this. If not, inshallah ta'ala, you can catch the video later or you'll be able to uh, catch the podcast for those of you that prefer that. Um, I have the, the, the group open here, the Telegram chat, but I don't have any questions at the moment. So I think what we will do is if you have questions, then please write them down, keep them with you. For next week inshallah ta'ala and then uh, at the beginning of next week you know if you have them you can feel free to post them jazakumullah khairan and inshallah ta'ala i hope that allah azawajal keeps you and your families all safe wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh